This morning, we're continuing our sermon series, A New Way to Be Human, and we want to welcome back the pastoral resident at the Vine, Houston Tucker, who's going to be preaching this morning. Our scripture reading for today is from Ephesians 4, 30 through 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Good morning, everybody. I love that. Thank you. Uh, well, yeah, like she said, my name is Houston. I'm the pastoral resident uh, and one of the elders of the Vine. <clears throat> and uh, here to talk to you about Ephesians 4. It's not on there anymore, but it was Ephesians 4, 30 to 32. And uh, as I'm sure you saw, forgiveness big theme in this passage today. And I think forgiveness is such a hot topic in our world right now, isn't it? Maybe you don't think so, but here's why I think it is. If you did a Google search, you just search the word forgiveness, the first five websites that'll come up are uh, medical or mental health organizations all talking about why forgiveness is so important. If you clicked one of these links, you would see that psychologists and doctors both recommend forgiveness as one of the number one things that people can do to improve their physical and mental health. Everybody wants forgiveness. Your doctor thinks that you should forgive. Your therapist thinks that you should forgive. They say it's one of the best things you can do for yourself. In fact, here's here's an excerpt from Psychology Today, which is not hard-hitting psychology, but Still interesting. It says, Forgiveness is vitally important for the mental health of those who have been victimized. It propels people forward rather than keeping them emotionally engaged in an injustice or trauma. Forgiveness has been shown to elevate mood, enhance optimism, and guard against anger, stress, anxiety, and depression. But at the same time, Our culture also hates forgiveness, doesn't it? If you you keep up with popular culture in America, maybe you try to keep up with Twitter, you know that people are being called out for the messed up things that they've done. You know, you can't go a week without some famous person, a coach, an actor, a musician, putting out an apology. You know, how many times have we seen the picture of the Notes app apology being posted on Twitter, social media, whatever? Someone making a statement admitting that they were wrong. I mean, our culture eats up those apologies, don't they? And there are so many apologies, but it, it seems to me like nobody is really interested in forgiving. You know, it, people are very excited to hold on to that outrage that they feel about injustice. And more often than not, it seems like people stoke those flames of anger rather than accept the apology and forgive. So it seems to me that, that forgiveness really is such a big issue in our culture, isn't it? I think there's a lot to be said about it. You know, if we look at what the psychologists and the doctors are saying, it seems like we should be aggressively seeking to forgive people. But instead, it seems like a lot of us are are really interested in holding on to our outrage, holding on to our anger. And so the question is, what do we do about that? What do we say to a culture that hungers for righteousness to the extent 
that it holds on to the anger and the bitterness even to its own detriment. Do we, do we agree with the side that says these things are wrong and people have to give an account? Or do we agree with the side that says you've got to forgive others and that holding on to this bitterness and anger is killing yourself? Well, the biblical answer to that is yes. We're going to see today that when Paul talks about a subject like forgiveness, he draws us back to the gospel in order to help us understand forgiveness. He points to Jesus and to our relationship with the Holy Spirit so that we can see what real biblical forgiveness looks like and what it even means. So last week, Nate introduced this sermon series to us. One of the things he emphasized from the introductory section of this passage is the idea of putting off and putting on. And so what I want to do is, before we jump in, I want to read Ephesians 4, 22-24. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn there with me and let's look at it together. Paul says, Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so what Paul wants us to see is that that's the model of the Christian life. You know, that, this is what Nate talked about last week. This is how Paul tells us that we need to follow Jesus. We need to put off the old self. You know, we stop doing these things that lead to death. We are renewed and transformed by the Holy Spirit. And then we put on that new self, meaning that we follow in Jesus' footsteps doing what He did. And so that's what we're going to do today in our passage. In, in talking about forgiveness and anger and bitterness, we're going we're to look at the same model and we're going to apply it to this subject of forgiveness. And, he, and here's what we're going to see. We're going to see three things. First, we're going to see that we have to put off the old self, meaning anger, bitterness, malice. We're going to see we have to be renewed by the Spirit. And we have to put on the new self, which practices things like kindness, gentleness, forgiveness. We're going to see how the Gospel empowers us to do this. So in other words, we're going to see three things. We're going to see what we want to stop We're going to see what we want the Holy Spirit to do. And then we're going to see what we want to do and why. So let's pray. Father, we just thank You for this day. We thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You that You are gracious and merciful to us. That You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We pray, Lord, that as we approach Your Word, that You would... Open our hearts to Your Word as we open Your Word to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be transformed by the Gospel and by Your Spirit. And Lord, we thank You. Yeah, we thank You for the gift of life that we have through Jesus and that that changes everything, Lord. Pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be glorifying to You, God, our Lord and our Redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Uh, first, let's jump in and let's look at verse 31. So, so turn to verse 31 with me. And it's going to be on the screen, but if you want to hold your Bible in your hands, it's good. 
Uh, verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. You know, I think if you read this, you don't have any context for Christianity, and you just read this, you might think that we practice some kind of like a Zen, meditative, peaceful religion. I'm not saying our religion is not peaceful. But, but what I'm saying is like when you look at this, and you see Paul saying, you know, put away anger, malice, bitterness, wrath. You might think that, you know, Paul is saying like, hey, we don't like negative emotions in the Christian experience. You might think Paul is saying, hey, we don't do any of that mean stuff here. But I think the question is, is that really what Paul is saying? And I don't think so. You see, first of all, if you look back just a couple of verses, verse 26, Paul says, be anger and do not sin. So clearly, anger is not in itself bad for the Christian. In fact, you, know, you look at the Gospels and Jesus got angry and he tossed some temple tables. So clearly, even he acted in his anger and it was good. So the question is, why does Paul want us to put those things away from us? And really, what does it mean to put it away from you? I mean, like, I don't know about you, but never in my life have I been talking to anybody and I said, hey, you need to put that away from you. Talking about their bitterness or their anger. It's not a way we talk, right? So let's, let's look at what in the world does it mean that these things should be put away from us. Literally, the word means let it be carried away from you. And so it's like this. It's a very visual word. It's a picture that we should have these things and then we should let go of them so that they can be taken away from us. Carried away from us. And it's like when you're moving. And you know, you go through, if you're like me, every time you move, we go through all of our stuff. And we decide whether or not we really want it. You know, like Marie Kondo, does this spark joy? Is it not... We go through everything and we decide, do we really want this? Do we really need this? And then we start a pile of all the junk that we're trying to get rid of. You know, like when you get married and you register for ice cream maker, and then you never once make ice cream in your whole life, and you have two of them. You know, like you, you get rid of these things that you've accumulated. And then the, the, the picture is, you finally you box all up. And the most satisfying part is when you box up all that junk that you don't need and you put it on a truck that's not going to take it to your new house, but it's going to take it to be donated or thrown away. And you stand there and you watch as this truck literally carries away your junk that you don't want or need anymore. It's not your responsibility. You are free from it. Because these blessed men and women have carried away from you this burden of junk. That, that's the picture that Paul is painting here. You know, I, I'm a big fan of Mr. Rogers. Very much love him and what he did. And, and he did it for the glory of God, I believe. But friends, this is not Mr. Rogers' neighborhood here. This is not Paul saying, hey, Love each other. That's good to love each other. This is the nice thing to do. Wouldn't be, life be better if you weren't so bitter? 
This is Paul saying that you and I desperately need to pack up these things called anger and wrath and bitterness and shouting and malice. We desperately need to pack these things up and send them away because they are poisonous to us and our families. It's like, it's like instead of just packing up those old kitchen knickknacks and the clothes that don't fit, it's like you've been hoarding gasoline and arsenic. And for some reason, you're holding on to these things in your life just in case you're going to need them one day. And, and anger and shouting and slander are like that gasoline that you're stockpiling. Explosive, dangerous materials sitting in your home God forbid someone strikes a match near you. And, and holding on to bitterness and wickedness is like stockpiling arsenic. Maybe one day you're going to need to kill a rat. But in the meantime, you just hope that it doesn't get into your water. You get what I'm saying here? Paul wants us to put these things away from us because they are deadly. Anger, bitterness, wrath, Shouting, wickedness, these things will destroy us and the people around us if we let them. So Paul is pleading with us, send them away. Get rid of them. Maybe you're like me and you don't have problems with anger and bitterness. You never held ill will towards another person in your life. Obviously, that's not true. I wish I could say that that's how I live my life, but it's very far from true. I wish I could tell you that I don't struggle with anger, but I do. I, I have an anger problem. You know, I, plenty of times in my life, I've exploded, you know, and, and lashed out in anger, and, and I wish I could say that I haven't, but I have. And praise the Lord, it, it decreases over time, but it still happened. But, you know, my problem the really dangerous type of, of anger in my life is that quiet and brooding kind. It's, it's the kind of anger that deals in bitterness and passive aggression instead of wrath and shouting. Has anyone seen the movie Anger Management? Yeah, oh, one person. That's fair. Uh... It's been a long time since I've watched it. 2003, so it was a different time. Who knows what was going on in that movie? So I don't, I'm not necessarily recommending it, but uh, there, there's a great scene. Adam Sandler's the main character, and he is sent to anger management. Uh, he's court-ordered for anger management. And uh, Jack Nicholson is his uh, anger um, management therapist, counselor. And uh, you know the big, the big conflict is that Adam Sandler doesn't think that he needs anger management. He thinks he's just fine. Uh, but Jack Nicholson's character thinks that he actually needs it very much and very desperately. And then there's a line from the movie that I think is so good. This is a little edited. Uh, Jack Nicholson says this. He's saying there are two kinds of angry people. Explosive and implosive. Explosive is the kind of individual who you see screaming at the cashier for not taking their coupons. Implosive is the cashier who rem remains quiet day after day until one day they finally take their anger out on everyone in the store. So the, the idea, 
I think this is very wise, is that just because you don't explode in anger at people doesn't mean you don't have an anger problem. And and just like anger, just because you don't hold violent grudges and, and wish bad on people doesn't mean that you don't have a bitterness problem. And just because you don't actively seek revenge against people doesn't mean that you don't have a forgiveness problem. See what I'm saying? Paul wants us to put these things away from us because they are so toxic. Even implosive anger is dangerous. Even bitterness that never comes out is still poisonous. And even unforgiveness that looks benign is still just as devastating for the person holding on to it. And so what do we do about that? What are we supposed to do with this? If we know that we don't want anger and wrath, bitterness, shouting, wickedness, if we know we don't want these things, what do we want? So we know we want to put these things away from us. We want to load these up in the U-Haul and send them away. But then what? Well, remember after we have put off the old self, Paul wants us to be renewed by the Spirit. Or in verse 23, be renewed in the Spirit of our minds. And what in the world does that mean? Right? What in the world does it mean to be renewed? It's one of those, renewed is one of those great Christian words that never comes up in real life. The only time I ever talk about renewal is with gym memberships and Netflix subscriptions. And is that what we're talking about today? What does it mean to be renewed? What what does it mean for you and I to be renewed? Well, literally, the word means to be made new again. But again, like, what does that mean in our lives? Well, here's an example of being renewed. Renewed is often, uh, in, in the Greek, this, this word that's translated as renewed, is used to talk about buildings. And so, here's an example. When I was in high school, my high school was the oldest in the city and the second worst. And there were four or five high schools, and mine looked like it had not been touched since the 50s, Right? And so the city decided to start a huge project to build onto the school, to build additions, to update, to renovate. And by the time the projects were all done, the hallways, they looked brand new. A lot of the classrooms were updated with newest technology. There was a second level being built. The parking lot changed. Everything was different. The building was renewed in the classic sense of the word. And see, it's the same building that was always there. It's the same high school, it's the same teachers, the same students. It's all in the same place, but it was also new. It was brand new. That's the picture that Paul is calling us to when he says to be renewed. He's saying, get rid of our anger, our bitterness, wickedness. And he's saying that when we send these things away, then we don't just get rid of the bad things. We change ourselves. We are made new again. But how is that happening is the question. Well, look at verse 30 with me. Verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed 
for the day of redemption. Do you see what Paul says? He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And he means like, don't make the Holy Spirit sad by holding on to these old things. Don't hold on to your anger, bitterness, and wrath. That, that grieves the Holy Spirit inside us. Because, the second part of the verse, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's, it's that second part, the for whom you were sealed for the day of redemption that is important here. Paul is drawing our attention ahead, way ahead, to, to the very end. When Jesus comes back. See, the, the Christian belief is that, according to the Bible, is that one day Jesus is going to come back and, he, and He's going to transform us. And we're going to be made completely new. And on that day, there will be no more pain and suffering, no more brokenness, no more rebellion inside us. And no more sin in our hearts. On that day, we're going to be made perfect. And one of the reasons that we can trust that that's going to happen is that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit now. That's what Paul is saying. He's comparing the Holy Spirit to a sort of down payment of what is to come. The Holy Spirit is like knowing you have an inheritance worth a ton of money coming but you can't access it yet. But still, it's like you get a huge check in the mail just to give you a taste of what's coming. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is like the foretaste of what is coming. It is the promise. It's the seal that when Jesus comes back, He is going to wipe away every tear from every eye. And then when Jesus comes back, every knee will bow before Him. And when Jesus comes back, the whole world will come together and worship Him. People from all over the world. But until that day, the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts to bring about that change that will ultimately happen. So one day, every knee will bow before Jesus. But for now... The Holy Spirit is working on the hearts of those who follow Jesus so that we can obey Him and recognize His kingship. And one day, every brokenness and rebellion will be righted and all sin will be wiped away. And so now, the Holy Spirit is working in each of our lives to repair this brokenness and root out this sin that is festering and decaying inside of us. And then one day, people from every tongue and tribe and nation will gather around the throne of God and worship Him. So until that day, the Holy Spirit is gathering for Himself a people from all over the world to come together and worship and live together for His glory. Do you see what I'm getting at here? We can trust that the Holy Spirit is transforming us now because He is the seal of the promise that one day, everything that the Holy Spirit has started, everything that the Holy Spirit is doing now on our small scale of our lives will be done on a huge scale. A cosmic scale when Jesus comes back. And so the call now 
is we've sent these things away and we want to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts to renew us, to give us that foretaste of the good things that are coming. We want to be renewed. So we've seen what we want to stop. We've seen what we want the Holy Spirit to do. Now let's see what we want to do. As we think about what we are to do and and how we're supposed to respond to this passage, let's read our final verse again. Verse 32. He says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. You know, I said it earlier, but I'll say it again. These are nice ideas. And this is a beautiful picture of what it means to live and to follow Jesus. But again, we are not talking Mr. Rogers' neighborhood here. See, why does Paul take the time to, to write these things, to call the Ephesian church to this kind of life? Is it, is it just because it's nicer this way? Is it just because... It's easier? Is it just because he doesn't want conflict in their lives? I think Paul wants those things for the Ephesian Christians. He he wants them to get along. He wants them to live the better life. But for Paul, kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness, these are not just nice ideas. These are gospel matters. Here's what I mean. When I look at Jesus all throughout the Gospels, what we see time and again is a picture of an extremely kind man. He was so kind that even the people who were on the fringes of society came to him, knowing that he would not turn them away like everyone else had. Jesus was so tenderhearted that the Gospels tell us that children loved him and he loved them. His heart burned for the widows and the orphans so much that what it meant to follow Jesus meant to care for those things. Christians were the first people to start orphanages, to start meal trains for widows. And friends, Jesus knew forgiveness. You know, he said wonderful things like, if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek also. Or if someone forces you to carry their bag a mile, take it too. He also said incredible things. Like when he was asked, how many times should we forgive our brother? Seven times? Seventy times? He says, no. Seventy times, seventy times. There's no cap on forgiveness. And more than that, Jesus knew forgiveness because He paid His life to forgive us. Friends, I want you to consider what forgiveness actually is. In any circumstance where there is room for forgiveness, there's always a debt. So imagine, Nate and I went to lunch the other day. Imagine we're at lunch, and in my anger, I slap his dinner or his lunch right off the table. Just destroy his lunch, right? I now owe Nate a debt. See, forgiveness is not simply Nate saying, I won't hold this against you anymore. 
For, forgiveness is Nate absorbing that debt in himself. So like if Nate forgave me, he would be saying that I don't owe him anymore. And, and hear me, church. He's not saying that what I did wasn't wrong or that there are no consequences. That's not what forgiveness is. What he's saying is that ultimately, he absorbed the debt. Because in any situation like this, there are only two options. Either you make them pay or you absorb the debt. And, and making him pay could look like a lot of things. He could literally make me pay for his meal. You know, I need to replace the, the lunch that I destroyed. Or maybe the way I pay for it is that he's going to hurt me physically. Or maybe press charges. Or maybe paying for it means that he's going to go home and he's going to rehearse in his head over and over what I did to him and, and how he would make me pay for it. And the way I'm paying for this debt is actually in the theater of his mind over and over and over for eternity. But no matter what he does, there's just the two options. Either extract the debt, make me pay, or forgive and absorb the debt. And of course, Nate would never do that. That's not who he is. But the, the Christian model is that we do what Jesus did in terms of forgiveness. You see, you see that last part of verse 32? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Friends, Paul wants you and I to see that forgiveness is a way of life for the Christian because it is a gospel matter. Forgiveness is a way of life for the Christian because it was our way into life as the Christian. And I want to look at Isaiah 53 to drive this point home. Isaiah 53, 3-6. through It's going to be on the screen. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and is one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed Him not. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Friends, Jesus forgave us all of our debts on the cross. He took upon Himself the infinite cost of our debts. He absorbed that cost and paid it with His own body. And His body was broken because that is the payment due the things that we did to Him. And His blood was shed because that was the payment due, that was the cost to right the wrongs that we do to each other. 
Friends, Jesus did not simply declare that we were okay. He didn't say that, well, what you did is not really that wrong. He didn't forgive us because there wasn't so much to forgive. No, He forgave us at the cost of His life because it was not okay what we did. He forgave us by breaking His body on the cross because what we did was so wrong. And He forgave us by shedding His divine blood because there was so much to forgive that we were drowning in debt. Friends, if if you hear anything today, I think that we should hear that forgiveness is hard. Our example of forgiveness died at the cost of forgiving. It is not an easy thing to do. It's It's not always pretty. But man, it is so beautiful. It's how we can put off that old self that is decrepit and decaying, be transformed by the Holy Spirit, and then put on that new self. The beautiful picture of Jesus who absorbed debts so that we could be reconciled to Him. Friends, I, I think if you hear anything today, I want you to hear that because of the Gospel, we are forgiven. And it's because we are forgiven that we can and must forgive others. So let's pray. Lord, we just thank You for this day. We thank You for Your Word. Lord, we... Man, we recognize that forgiveness is hard. It's so hard. It's so easy to hold on to bitterness. It's so easy to replay and rehearse the ways that we've been wronged and and to exact a payment slowly over time. Lord, it's so easy to explode in anger or implode in anger, whatever it is. And Lord, we just pray for a different way of life. Lord, we we see in Your Word that You show us, that that You promise that the best way to live is a way of forgiveness and a way of kindness and tenderheartedness. And we know that because when we saw Jesus, that's the way that He lived. And Lord, we know that it cost Him His life to forgive. And so we pray for strength and boldness as we strive to be forgiving people knowing that it it is costly to forgive, Lord, but that You paid this cost infinitely. Lord, I pray that as we go from here, we could be a kind and tenderhearted and forgiving people who forgive others because You have forgiven us so much. And then as we remember in the grand scheme of things, whatever debt someone owes us, just doesn't compare to the debt that we owe to You, Lord. doesn't mean it's not there, but it means that we were the greater debtor always. We thank You, Lord, for everything You give us and for Your Word. We thank You so much for the gift of life we have through Jesus. We pray that we would be transformed by this new life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.